My name's Evan. I'm the pastor of our downtown campus. Man, coming here is like coming home. It's crazy. I grew up in this church with so many of your wonderful, beautiful faces. So Ben and I traded spots today. Um, We wanted to kind of remind us or let you know that we are one church, two campus. We have two different communities that gather together on a regular basis and operate out of their own unique gifts and callings, but we are unified by the Bible, the God of the Bible, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, And so it just gives me a chance to come and hang out with you guys. We uh, are walking through the same series together as well. Um, We're going to be doing that in the years to come. Uh, Advent through Easter was Ben's idea. So that way we'll be unified in what we're studying. Before we jump into the Word, and I really hope that's why you're here, is to learn more about God, I've got to give you a bit of a disclaimer. I have issues. <laughs> I have lots of issues, really. But there's one issue that I have that may kind of interfere with our next half an hour. And so about four and a half years ago, I had a rock climbing accident and suffered some um, mental brain scarring issues in my temporal lobe. And because of that, my brain can just like misfire at times. And it's what doctors call partial seizures. Now, fortunately, for the sake By the grace of God, my seizures are all in my mind. There's nothing physical about it, but they normally happen every week or two, and by the grace of God, it's been three weeks since my last one, which is awesome. But that means, (laughs) as I'm using my brain today, there might be a time where you see me pause for a minute or two, and I hope that you just see this as an intercession. Right, a chance to just go to the bathroom, go refill your coffee, get some popcorn, right? Or even better, focus in on what God is showing you in that moment, right? Look at your journal, look at the verses. Who knows if it'll happen? This has been going on for about two years for me, and it's only happened once downtown while I've been preaching. Um, but I figured, you know, I need to let you know that I am a real man. I am frail and broken. And it's only by the Spirit of God that anything good will come from this. So with that, i got to pray. God, right now, I surrender everything I am to you. Spirit, take my mind, take my voice, take my emotions, and simply communicate your will. Penetrate our lives. Guide us into your presence so that way we may receive more of your goodness, more of your life. Amen. All right, so I'm going to hit the ground running. This is how we do things downtown. Here's a question for you. What if you lived as if what you say that you believe is true is actually true? How different would your life look? How would your words and actions change if you lived as if what you believed is true is a proven fact? And we've been walking through the book of John. In, John, in the book of 1 John, in chapter 4, Nick walked us through two things that John clearly lays out. The intensity of God's love for humanity, and because of this, we should love other people. There are lines from this chapter that should be posted on your mirror, your dashboard, even tattooed on your body. Verse 10, in this love... Not that we loved God but, that God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or verse 19, we love because he first loved us. In chapter 5, 
what we're going to be looking at today, John explains the foundation out of which all of our choices and actions flow. Faith. Let's read the first five verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ, or the Messiah, has been born of God. And everyone who loves a parent loves a child. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, from my interpretations of this passage, according to John, faith is the fundamental building block for everything we need and are called to do in this life. Now, I know you've heard this word many times in settings like this. From powerful preachers to humble church ladies, they've told you that faith is all that you need. The word faith resonates throughout Christianity in the same way as the word love. When you read through the Bible, the idea of faith is a thread that runs from cover to cover. Because of this, it's knit into the culture of Christianity. You may even have a bookmark or a coffee mug that, says, that speaks about the power of faith. But how often have you stopped to consider what faith is and why it is declared to be so powerful? That's my hope this morning, to get you thinking about the what, the why, and the how behind faith. Now, I promise you, I cannot and I will not be able to give you everything you need to know about this. However, my goal is to give you some framework that you can then delve deeper on your own or even better with other people to study to figure out why, pay, why faith is considered so powerful. So let's start with the what. Now the words believes and faith that John uses in verses 1, 4, and 5, they all stem from the same Greek word group which is translated trust, Faith, believe to the extent of complete trust. So that means to have faith in someone or something is to believe that they or it can be trusted to the point that you are willing to act out of your belief. Now this is a crucial detail to know. Faith isn't just saying that you believe in someone or something. It is trust that is proven by what you do. Let me give you a couple examples. You all have faith that you will be given tomorrow. Right? If you don't believe me, look at the way that you plan your days. Look at your calendar. Right? You have scheduled out most likely the next week or two. You have Christmas plans, all because you believe, you have faith, that you have breath in your lungs and that the sun will continue to rise for you. Right? You also do this with your car. Right? Every morning when you need to go to work, you have faith that your car will start. You make actions based on your beliefs. Because of this, what we do most clearly demonstrates what we believe or have faith in. If you look at your day-to-day -day life, you'll be able to best discern what people call a worldview. This is a term used to describe the way that people see the world, the lens through which you operate. It is what the authors of the Bible would refer to as faith. Out of our worldview come all of the choices that we make, the ways that we live our lives. And there's many, many layers to your worldview. Let me give you some examples. From what you see as stylish, which influences what you wear and how you decorate your house, to what you see your role as a parent is, which influences how you act towards your kids, to what your stance is on topics like immigration and abortion, which, is, which influences the way that you vote, 
to how you feel about the coronavirus, which influences whether or not you wear a mask, come to church, are going to gather with your family during Christmas. Every single one of these, right, which we have dozens, hundreds, even thousands of them, have direct influence on every moment of every day that we are given. But at the foundation of everybody's view of the world is a belief that they are either created by an almighty maker of everything or they are a byproduct of evolution. There is no other choice that we have. It is either one or the other, and one is true, and the other one is not. And both creationism and atheism require faith. Whichever one a person puts their faith into, major implications occur throughout their lives. And we'll talk about this more in a little bit. But first, in needing to explain, by looking at how we need faith to explain the origin of our life, it shows us another important part of the definition of faith. It is complete trust in something or someone that cannot be definitively proven. That one might be a little harder to hear. I just can't walk away from that, though. Faith requires a person to make a choice to believe that something is true without being able to fully prove it. And we see this in Hebrews 11, the beginning of the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now, I imagine most of you guys knew this about faith, that there's an element of the unknown involved. Right? Think about that tagline, that a leap of faith. So, to answer the question of what is faith, how about this for a definition? Acting out of full trust in someone or something without being able to definitively know the outcome. Now, those of us in this room, including myself, that are more rational, you might be asking yourself, why would I do that? Why would I act out of full trust in someone or something if I don't know what the outcome will be? You know, as I thought through this question this past week, a very simple but difficult answer came to mind. You have no choice. Because of our limited ability as humans, the fact that we do not know what the future will bring, we have no choice but to place our faith in countless things every day, all day long. Let me explain this a little bit more. You don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your car will start to take you to work or that you will be given another day. But because you want to keep living your life, you make plans according to your faith. Even though you can't fully prove that what we want to happen will happen, if we want to keep living, we must live out of faith. The same is true of the deepest beliefs we have in our existence. Neither a creationist or an atheist can fully prove that what they believe is true. Within both belief systems, there's an area of unknown that requires faith. And you have to choose what you believe because it then has major influences on your life. One way or the other, you have chosen. Since we're in a Christian church right now, I assume that you place some level of belief in the fact that there's an almighty maker. So let's take a moment to think through the ways that this is and should be influencing your life affecting your worldviews and the choices that you are making. You know, this is our, um, our, our why. And it's answering the question, what if you lived as if what you said you believed is actually true? What if you fully operated as if there is a God? 
Now, unless you're willing to give me your attention, as much of your attention span as you give to a football game, this is going to have to be short, right? My hope is that this just gets your mind rolling. If you acted out of full trust that there's an all-powerful creator who made you, what sort of influences should this have on your days? It means that you were specifically made with skills and the natural passions that you have. You were also intentionally made for this time and place. If you fully acted out of this worldview, think about how you would see yourself and your sense of purpose. You are not a byproduct of a cosmic accident, but you are a masterpiece made for specific reasons. Ephesians 2.10 For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Make this personal. For we, for you, Donovan, for you, Tate, for you, Jim, you are what God has made you. You have been made in, you have been created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be your way of life. Let that sink in. It's talking about you. You are his creation. What's incredible is that the Christian faith doesn't stop there. John leads us deeper down this road in 1 John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. What if you lived as if your creator loved you so much that he was willing to become a man so that way he could bear the full weight of your brokenness? That the almighty maker of everything became frail and limited so that way he could pay the price of your rebellion against him. If, you, if we truly believed this and lived it out, imagine how this would affect your view of your, your self-worth. The creator of everything sees you as worthwhile enough to die for. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rather, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were still were sinners, Christ died for us. Because Jesus stepped into, in and took our place, because he paid our punishment in full, we are now completely forgiven of every wrongdoing we will ever do, we have ever done, and we will ever do. Hebrews 7, 27. Unlike the other high priests, speaking of Jesus, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of his people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. If this truth shaped our view of ourselves and others, imagine how free our lives would be of guilt and shame. Imagine how much more quickly we would extend forgiveness and mercy to those who do you wrong. And but the Christian faith gets even better. According to John, when we believe that this is true, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, our Savior, then our Creator becomes our Father. That's why he says over and over in this letter, little children... This means that not only does the one who made you love you enough to die for you, but he is also your provider and your protector. Think about how this should influence your day-to-day life. The one who is powerful enough to make planet Earth and the billions of stars that surround us is your dad. He is the one who wants to and will protect you and provide for you with everything that you need when you're willing to come to him. 
You know, a section from the parable of the prodigal son came to my mind. The son's went out, living, doing whatever he wants, and then he starts, he realizes he needs to come back to his father. And so he starts making that, that journey, Luke 15. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, fully ignores that, said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Man, if this is true... Why do we worry? Why do we spend endless time trapped in our little bubbles of fear and anxiety? Why don't we live the way that Jesus suggested we live? Matthew 6. Therefore do not worry, saying, What will I eat and what will I drink and what will I wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is a definitive promise by the creator of everything. And we could explore this for hours and the implications that it should have on our lives. John gives us one more. Verses 2 and 3 in 1 John. By this we know that we love, that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God is our father. He desires to show us the best ways to live. As our creator, he understands better than anyone how we were designed and what it looks like for us to operate in our fullness, which is what's going to bring us fulfillment, purpose, contentment. And these essential parts of a good life are not just for us. They will also be given to those around us when we follow God's instruction. His goodness will come through us to the people around us. And this is why God gave us commandments or instructions on how to live, so that more of his power, his goodness can be experienced. And if we lived like this was true, every moment of every day we would be seeking God's direction and guidance. We'd be studying his word and asking the spirit to direct our steps and to give us wisdom on how to live now. We'd be like David, Psalms 37. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. And there's so much more to it. But think about how faith in these principles should be affecting the way that you handle hardships. Like COVID. Like a loss of a job. Like problems with your relationships. Or cancer. You know, I'll never forget something that Steve Balsley used to always say. He was a former head pastor here at Rimrock. He died of cancer in his late 50s. But he would say, a person doesn't die a day before God says they should. And out of his faith that there is an all-powerful maker of heaven and earth whose love could not be fathomed, 
who had a perfect plan for his life and death, Steve held strong to his purpose as a pastor until he could no longer get out of bed. And it's the same belief that caused me to continue to teach the Bible only a month after being released from a hospital after sustaining my traumatic brain injury. Right? Regardless of how weak and scrambled my brain has been over the past four and a half years, I hold to the fact that I've been made for a purpose. And because I didn't die, that purpose still exists. And God will guide and empower me to accomplish his will. And if we lived as if what we say is true is actually true, nothing in this world could shake us. No circumstance could cause us to live in fear. We would remain fully secure in joy and peace. So John says, verses 4 and 5, For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? By living out of the belief that we, but if we lived out of the belief that we are all this is, all that there is in this world, that humans are the top of the evolutionary totem pole, every day you will struggle to find purpose and contentment. Every day you will wonder what the point of my life is. When circumstances rear their ugly heads, which they will, you will be supported solely by your strength and your abilities to fight back. Living out of one's faith in the world will only bring disappointment and fear. But by placing your faith in the God of the Bible, you will conquer hopelessness and despair, regardless of what your life brings. You know, I found this quote by a guy named John Newton. Faith upholds a Christian under all trials by assuring him that every painful dispensation is under the direction of the Lord that chastisements are a token of his love, that the season, measure, and continuance of his suffering are appointed by infinite wisdom and designed to work for his everlasting good, and that grace and strength shall be afforded him according to his need. You know, I didn't complete my notes quick enough to ask Amy to put together a handout for you with all these verses, but they're going to be on a slide behind me after the musicians finish up all the verses and this quote, if it, these are interesting at all to you, if they're like moving at all within you, please take some time to write them down so that way you can look at it. Because by the time you get to lunch, you'll forget probably, what, 99% of everything that I say, right? But if you want your faith to go deeper, if you want it to have influence on your life, take time to look at it on your own. So we do have one more question when it comes to faith, the How? If we're open and real with ourselves, each of us are probably wondering, yes, this is a beautiful, ideological way to think that you can live. But how do I do this? How do I deal with the struggle that I continually have of whether or not this is real? John continues to show us truth in his letter. He tells us that we need to examine the evidence. Let's look at verses 6 through 12. 1 John 5, 6 through 12. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive human testimony, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has testified to his Son. 
Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony in their hearts. Those who do not believe in God have made him a liar by not believing in his testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And this is a testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's a lot in this. And unfortunately, Tom said that I have to be done in eight minutes. Unless he's willing to extend me. I'm guessing that chuckle is a no. So what I'm going to do is just give you a quick overview of this. As John writes to these churches in the Roman Empire in the first century, you've got to remember, he's a real man writing to real people. He first tells them to have faith, to believe that Jesus is the Savior. He then gives them evidence to support their faith. By describing that Jesus came by water and blood, he is most likely referring to Jesus' humanity. That Jesus had a real body just like they did. He may be referencing Jesus' birth and when he was stabbed in the side by his de- at his death. Both involve a lot of blood and water. Or he may be referring to Jesus not only being baptized, right, water, but also his body being broken and blood pouring out. Regardless of what he's speaking of, he wants his audience to know that Jesus was a real man. This is because a group of people had been rising up within their church claiming that Jesus was fully spiritual, that he had nothing material about him. Gnosticism was deluding the truth of the Messiah by stating that he didn't really suffer, but was simply putting on a show. And John stands up in their face, showing them evidence that Jesus was real. I'm sure he would also tell the churches that he saw the blood of Jesus, that he was standing there watching his body be broken with his own two eyes, that he had firsthand evidence that Jesus was a man with a real body. Now, I love this. I love the way that John goes to factual evidence. He doesn't just tell them to believe in something that they cannot see and leave it at that. You know, it seems like this idea of blind faith is really common in religious circles. And the moment that you express doubt, you are seen as a heretic. But here, John shows them and us that we should examine the evidence to verify our faith in the God of the Bible. Have you done that? Have you spent time reading, researching whether or not the Bible and its claims are backed up by proof? If you haven't, then your faith is based solely on your experience, your feelings, and what you have heard from other people, which means that you are building your castles on sand. But if you take time to look at the historical, philosophical, and scientific evidences that support the Christian faith, your faith will find a bedrock upon which it can rest and then grow. Books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict a case for Christ, and reflections on the existence of God. If you're interested in these, come and look at them. They will engage your mind and show you that your faith in the God of the Bible is far more probable and logical than any other belief on why we exist, what our purpose is, and what happens when we die. And we have been given big, beautiful brains for a reason. Use them to ask questions and seek truth. Because if God's not real, we need to know that. That makes sense? Being a Christian does not mean being a blind sheep that just follows along with whatever people say. Dig into it on your own. Examine the evidence.
You know, John also speaks about the Spirit testifying to the reality of Jesus being the Messiah. For John, he got to witness the Spirit do amazing things through, the other, through him and the other disciples, like speaking the gospel in dozens of languages at once and healing the sick. He most likely got to watch people's lives be radically changed when they put their faith in Jesus being the Messiah. He lets his audience know that this is living proof that Jesus is God and has the ability to overcome the darkness of this world. If you have put your faith in the God of the Bible, if you believe that he is real and that Jesus is the Messiah, then you have experienced the power of the Spirit in your life as well. If you take time to look at who you were 10 years ago and who you are now, you will most likely see evidence showing God's reality. There are also lots of stories in this room of people experiencing the miraculous, whether it's being healed, relationships being restored, or needs being met. The times when goodness came into your life in unexplainable ways are evidence that God is real, that you have put your faith in what is true. John encourages us to remember what God has done for you. When you are in the midst of troubles, remember what God did in your past. When you are overwhelmed by fear or doubt or greed or desire for pleasure, take 30 seconds or 30 minutes, whatever it takes, to think about the evidence that you have seen in your life that God is real. By reflecting on times when God has stepped into your life, you will direct your mind and your emotions back to truth. You will remind yourself and your emotions that if God was so good then, then he will continue to be good now. This will support and encourage you in your faith that God is real, which will have direct influences on your thoughts, your emotions, your choices, your actions, your life. Taking time to remember what God has done for you will change your day-to-day life, which will build your entire existence. So as the musicians come up, let's do that right now. Let's take time to verbally confess that God is real and to thank him for what he's done. God, I believe that you are real. I believe that you made me and that you have stepped into my life endless times to bring your goodness. Please continue to encourage my faith. Please allow it to grow. Please fight against my doubts and show me more and more of the evidence that you are real. Amen.